In the early 1990s, I was asked to represent our diocese, the Diocese of West Texas, with the Diocese of Northern Mexico. And over the years, they were based in Monterey. Over the years, we had a lot of different activities, mostly along the border, so that the churches from Mexico could easily come to the United States churches and vice versa. And, ov and over this period of time, I became close to many of the people. Um, and, I, and I wasn't the only representative. There, was a few, there were a few of us uh, that, uh, that went on these um, trips. My favorite part of being with this group of people was to be with the lay people. I found them much more interesting than to be with the clergy people. Now at the time, I was not yet ordained. I was in process. And um, uh, lots of times the, the people, uh, the lay people, wanted to discuss things like, you know, uh, music and ministry projects and outreach and that kind of thing. The clergy, if, at least with me, they were mainly focused on challenging the notion of the ordination of women. So as you can imagine, it got kind of tiresome for me, you know, constantly being asked to, uh, to respond to their, their, what mattered to me was chatter. So one day I went into the church sanctuary of whatever church we were meeting at. This was almost 30 years ago, or maybe even more, because I was not yet ordained. And uh, so I was sitting quietly in this sanctuary, just trying to you know, gather my thoughts, pray a little bit. And in comes this young priest. I don't think he'd been ordained very long. And we had generally a good rapport, a good relationship. And I knew he was going to come and, you know, ask me and challenge me and, and, and so forth. And, uh, you know, I tried not to, not to get upset because he was interrupting my quiet time. Um, so here he comes. And uh, I remember I was sitting in the pew and he was standing up in front of me, kind of leaning on the back pew facing me. And so, um, so he says, in, in a somewhat angry tone, he says to me, well, what gives you the right to get ordained? I said, okay. You know, this is not about rights. This is not about um, women's lib or equality. It, it's not about any of those things. It's about being obedient to God's call. I don't know if God knows if I'm a man or a woman. I don't think God cares if I'm a man or a woman. I am merely being obedient and faithful to the call that I feel. That kind of shut him up, but, <laughs> you know. I don't know if it changed his mind, you know, but that kind of shut him up. And um, so uh, a few years later, uh, I got uh, ordained, and my first mass happened to be in Mexico City. And I had written to the bishop to let him know that I was coming and that I was looking for a place to have my first mass. This particular bishop was very progressive. And even though at the time they still were not ordaining women, um, he was, you know, in favor of it. And so he arranged for me to have my first mass at the cathedral in Mexico City. 
and it was just it was an it was an amazing thing that that he had that he had allowed this and invited me to this this particular space and he uh it was not a regular uh time it was a sunday but it was not a regular time for services but he asked their choir to stay and uh, so their choir stayed and uh, sang for us and he invited this one woman who he was preparing for ordination to be my acolyte. So I had taken a, a cohort of people with me. This, this was, uh, my ordination was December 7th, and I had promised my mother that the year of my ordination, we would go to Mexico City to visit the Basilica of Nuestra Señora de Guadalupe, kind of as a thank you. And, uh, but she died, you know, before uh, we had a chance to do that, but my family and I decided that we would go on this pilgrimage in her honor and, and go ahead and do it. And uh, so um, I had gotten ordained on a Friday, and I think that following Sunday was like the 9th or the 10th, whatever. Anyway, so it was not a regular time uh, to, for a service, but the bishop made all these arrangements and stuff. And uh, I have some relatives in Mexico, as you might imagine, and uh, they were there, my friends and family who had come with me, there were about 10 of us, were there. And the, um, the, the people who were, who were kind of like the, the vergers and stuff for the cathedral also stayed. And as is their custom, about five minutes before the service started, they started ringing the bell. And so uh, the bell rang and people in Mexico, you ring a, a church bell, you, it's time to go to church. So, so several people came in to the, to the sanctuary, to, to, to my surprise. And so I had, I had my first mass in Mexico City. And I kept thinking, well, I don't know what the people of the Diocese of Northern Mexico are going to feel about this, but I was glad. <laughs> I, said to, I said to myself, so there. <laughs> you know, there, there is a lot of ways that uh, people can respond to a call. And uh, I know of some people who did feel called to the ordained ministry, but did not pursue it. It's a tough, it's a tough line of, of work. And uh, so they, they, they shied away from it. They had various reasons to avoid it. Um, and I once uh, heard a Methodist, Methodist theologian, he, he, his name was the Reverend Tex Sample. And his, his name implies, he had a kind of a homey way of, of, of talking. And so he said this one thing that I've never forgotten. He said that being called to ordained ministry is a lot like throwing up. <laughs> he says, you can hold it for a while, but eventually, no, eventually and inevitably, it comes out. Now, the ordination to, uh, to the ministry, like either priesthood or the diaconate, are not the only career that one can feel a calling. There are other positions that are also a call. And for me, one of the most uh, important and, and uh, difficult callings is that of a teacher. Teachers are saints. I don't know how many of you know teachers or maybe you are a teacher. The challenges that you are facing in this, in this uh, time of society is very difficult. I mean, you're asked to teach uh, uh, to teach a text, in essence. Um, you know, you're not necessarily teaching kids, you know, basic things, but you're teaching them how to pass this particular test because this test is a measure of 
something. And um, so there's a lot of behavioral issues. There are many parents out there for, for one reason or another have not disciplined their, their, their kids, and so they are expecting the teachers to teach them discipline in addition to everything else, and now they're asked, being asked to carry guns. You know, I mean, teachers have it really hard. The other uh, uh, profession that for me is also, you know, uh, such, such an important uh, uh, position is healthcare workers. Uh, as, you, as you experienced during the pandemic, they were like on the front lines and sometimes they suffered greatly. And, you know, sometimes they didn't go home for days and days at a time. And, you know, many of them got sick and died. It, it, was, it was a horrible time during, during the early days of the pandemic. And, you know, I have to believe that what they, what they did who they are, even now, is a call. They've been set apart to do this work. And they can only do this work, in my mind, and this is my bias, they can only do this work because they're divinely inspired. It must be God giving them the strength to continue day after day during this very, very difficult work. And as we saw in Uvalde, Sometimes you would have to sacrifice your life for being a teacher. So, you know, call, as we hear in the gospel, is not just about church leadership. The rest of us who are not in that kind of field of work, education or uh, health care or, you know, other, other positions, are we off the hook? Are we not called? We are called. We're all called. Because, you know, when you hear, when you hear things like um, people drowning because they're trying to cross a river to come into what in their minds is the promised land for a better life, and they drown in the process of that, if it hurts our heart, is God calling us to do something about that? when we see news of intentional bombing of civilians, when we hear of children getting shot, is God calling us to act? These are heartbreaking times. and We can easily be overwhelmed by the magnitude and complexity of the issues. You know, sometimes I get to the point, often I get to the point where I don't want to hear the news. I don't want to hear the news. I'll go watch the Big Bang Theory or you know, something else, anything else. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to know because it hurts too much because I feel impotent. And it's very tempting to just stand back and let, and let it all wash in front of us and just kind of go by, go by. I'll, I'll come back out when the, when the storm is over, you know. But when is the storm over? You know, when is it safe to come back out? and feel again, and, and pay attention, and, and, and so forth. See, God is calling us at every moment. God is calling us to do whatever gift he gave us, to do something. Now, we can't do everything, and the magnitude of some of these problems are so huge. You know, we might be overwhelmed and frozen in our tracks, um, but it, it's not about doing everything, solving the issue. 
It's about doing our part. What can we do? We can't do everything, but we can do something. And this is a call. This is a call that God is giving us. We may not become heroes because of it. We may not be a star on social media. It, it, it's not about heroics. It's about being faithful. It's about being obedient. It's about answering God's call. In the gospel we hear, Jesus called Peter, and he called James and Andrew and John, and they immediately dropped their nets and followed him. It wasn't that fast, and it wasn't that clear. And if we pay attention throughout the, the scriptures, we hear of them stumbling around and doing stupid things and, you know, saying stupid things. Uh, <laughs> because it's not easy, and it's not like we won't make mistakes. But the reason we're here today, the reason those 12 ragtag, bumbling guys you know, still have an impact today was because God was at work in what they were doing. I don't know that you would call what they did successful, you know. Maybe they didn't even feel that they were successful because most of them were martyrs. So how successful are you? And that was a very pivotal time when Jesus died. They thought, okay, it's dead. This whole movement is dead. But then Jesus rose, and this huge, big thing happened, and they were empowered. And so when we think that we're not being successful, it's not up to us to be successful. It's up to us to make the effort and let God take care of whether or not it's successful or not. But we are called to make the effort. So when we're hearing all these terrible stories, God is calling us to act on his behalf. Now there are ways for us to do this together as a community of faith to make a difference. You know, there's an axiom that says, united we stand. And that's true. But I'm hard pressed to believe that we can continue to call our country the United States of America because we're anything but united. So we stand in the breach of that disunity because in dark, stark contrast to our battle-weary, deeply divided, disunited states of America is Jesus' vision of the kingdom, of what the world would look like in his vision. I heard a story about some church staff members who were asked, imagine... Tomorrow morning you wake up and you find that God's kingdom has indeed come, like a blanket of fresh snow on this beleaguered nation. What would be different? Stop for a moment and you yourself think about God's kingdom is here and it's wonderful. So what does that look like for you? So they closed their eyes and they thought about it. And it took them a while, but then they began to say things like, no child would go to bed hungry. Hospitals would be empty. Strangers would greet each other as friends. One said there wouldn't be any trash on the streets. People would not be judged by their ethnicity or their skin color. 
And once they got warmed up, they couldn't stop dreaming about how things would be when God's kingdom comes. Because Jesus' vision is a kingdom of justice. It's a kingdom of peace. It's a kingdom of generosity and love. A kingdom of gratitude. Today's gospel reminds us that the kingdom of God is here and not here. It's here when we make the effort to respond to God's call, to alleviate suffering and oppression. And it's not yet here when we give in to despair over the conflicts of our divided nation and the world. Well, I, I don't think we're called to be the unifiers of all the divisions, but we are called to heal the, the wounds of those we can reach. We can't do this as individuals. It's too large of a burden for any one of us to carry. But there are ways of coming together to do something. Right now, there's initiative being developed by uh, the COPS organization, COPS Metro. Um, your parish has been involved with a sister organization that has been uh, uh, kind of uh, enveloped into COPS Metro. It was called ICANN. Uh, Interfaith Communities Action Network, something like that. My parish, St. Paul's, was also uh, involved in that, but that organization is being folded into the COPS Metro organization, and they're developing a strategy to get out the vote. Now, we cannot take sides. We cannot campaign for individuals, individual parties or individual people, but we can educate people about issues and we can help people get registered to vote. And more importantly, we can help them get to the polls because it's no good to get registered to vote and then you don't come, you don't vote. It's kind of like y'all are gonna have an annual meeting on February 18th. Now, most people don't really care for those kind of meetings. You know, it's kind of mundane. You vote on a budget. Uh, you elect people to represent you at council or at, or at uh, general convention, that kind of stuff. Um, so a lot of people don't come to annual meetings. Like a lot of people don't vote. I saw a big old list of countries uh, that, that have voting and uh, out of a hundred or so countries, we're in the bottom third as for voter turnout. We have the right to vote but we don't vote. We have the right to make decisions about our parishes, but a lot of people don't come to annual meetings. A lot of people don't vote. So there's this thing about just kind of sort of stepping back away from those things because it's boring, it's too complicated. You know, I trust whoever's gonna, you know, vote, they'll elect the right people. How has that worked out? You have to get involved. You have the opportunity, you have the privilege of getting involved. And more than that, God is asking you to get involved. You're gonna say no to God, really? You can't say no to God. Well, you do at your own peril anyway. When Jesus walked the earth, he had such a beautiful vision for what the kingdom of God would look like. And we hear a lot about it in the various parables in which he he, uh, he talks about what the kingdom of God looks like. So several years ago, there was a series or a movie. I have a really bad memory, so I, I can't tell you 
where I saw this, but um, I was watching TV when this preview came up. Now, it could have been a preview for a movie or a TV series, I can't remember. Anyway, but here's the scene. So Jesus has been talking to his uh, disciples about the kingdom and, and the work ahead and stuff like that. And Peter, as you can imagine, is flummoxed, you know, and he's like, this ain't going to happen. You know, this is too hard. Uh, no, 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 no. Anyway, so they're out in the boat and they're done, they're done with their fishing. And so they're walking the, the boat onto the shore. Now, Jesus is standing on this side. The boat is right here and Peter is standing right there. And they're walking with their hands on the, on, the, on the rim of the boat. They're walking towards the shore. And Peter's grumbling, you know, that he, you know, this is too much, can't happen. And so finally he says in frustration, he says, what are we going to do? And Jesus has this kind of dreamy look on his face. And he's looking up and he's walking along with his hand on the boat. And he says, we're going to change the world. And when I heard that, it was, it was like I got enveloped in some cape of grace or something. It just, it just covered me. I, like I tell you, I don't remember what this series or movie was about, but those words, his sense of doing the impossible seemed so possible so full of hope because you know in the early part of the gospel jesus is saying the kingdom of god is here is near is you know and it's like that's the hope in the midst of all this morose time that we live in that's the hope the kingdom of god proclaiming the good news in the midst of all this misery that surrounds us there is good news it's up to us to spread that good news. It's up to us to act like there is good news, like there's hope. There is hope. Jesus Christ is the hope. We're going to change the world. This 12 ragtag band changed the world. Now, I'll never forget that scene because even though it was scripted and probably not even biblically based, it sent a message into my heart that had stayed and that I wish would come true. And it compels me to make it so. I hope it compels you too. Amen. <laughs>